Grace, mercy, and peace to you, fellow redeemed children of God. Uh, as Pastor John mentioned, uh, I have a little different upbringing than you, but not that different. Uh, I grew up in a Wells church and school called St. Marcus, where we had 78 children in the school. Uh, of those 78, two of them were uh, a brother and sister, white family named Jason Jenny Hopkins. The rest of us were African-American. I grew up on the east side of Milwaukee, uh, which is predominantly African-American, and there's uh, there are Puerto Rican communities in there as well. And so I had a little different upbringing than most of you because I lived in a, a, a context that was very much African-American-centric, African-American-driven. It, um, it allowed me to grow up uh, enjoying a lot of fun things like uh, hip-hop, you know, uh, all those things that are part of, of, of my culture, my community. So I really enjoyed that. But like you studying in, in our grade schools or studying as you came through when you knew the Bible, you probably heard a stir, the story of a, of a man named Absalom. Who, who knows Absalom's story? And if you read Absalom's story, Absalom's story you can find in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13, as you can find that and, and see more about Absalom. And, and when you heard the story when you were younger, was Absalom the good guy or the bad guy? Bad guy. Because he tried to take the throne from his father, David. And that's the nugget we got in our grade school study. But some of you have studied more and you've read the Bible more and, and you realize in the world we live in, even in Absalom's world, it's more nuanced than good guy, bad guy. Did you know that Absalom's full sister, Tamar, was raped by her half-brother Amnon? Did you know that the king, who was also her father, did nothing to the man who committed that crime? The way, the, way they, the way they put it in 2 Samuel, God has it recorded for us in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 21. When King David heard all this, he was furious. That's it. There was no trial. There was no jury. There was no execution. There wasn't even counseling for his daughter who had been violated. It was just, he was furious. Grrr, all capital letters. And that was Absalom's full sister. So how do you think that made Absalom feel? Very angry. So angry that he decided to get revenge on his own. He, he, he kills Amnon, which that was going to happen, so he kills Amnon. And then he has to flee from his father, and he says, well, if he's not going to be a good father and take care of my sister, his own daughter, not going to be a good king and take care of his subject, his own citizen, then he shouldn't be king. And then you have Absalom come back and try to take his father's throne, and that's the story that we end up getting mostly when we were young, Bad guy Absalom. Is he still wrong for taking, trying to take the throne? Yes, he's still wrong. But it's so much more nuanced than just that one moment. And as I stand up here before you today, about two hours ago, as I was driving up from Milwaukee, there was another situation that had nuance about the killing of a young man. And what he had done and what the, what the police officer had done, and in the end, life was lost. And it's not just a right or a wrong, it's nuanced. And I think you know that because you've lived enough life. You've lived to get to this adulthood stage, you know that life isn't just black or white or right and wrong, it's, it's a lot of gray in there. And that's the struggle I think we have when it comes to how we approach the topics that are, are on our hearts and minds the last, for, for, as a society for the last eight, nine months of race, and culture and, and justice in the community. 
because I, I, I'll tell you right now, in the, the 30 minutes allotted to me for this entire service, in the 10 minutes I was asked to speak for about the topic specifically, it's not enough time. There are way too many facets to this thing called race and culture and, and community that we won't be able to touch on tonight. We can try and maybe get some people some answers, but it's more complicated. It's more complicated than just saying that slavery wrecked a whole group of people's future. That was part of it, but that's way too simplistic. It's way more complicated than saying if they would just work harder, they would do better. Uh, there were cities that were burned down and there were, there were loans not given so that they couldn't do better. It's more, it's more complex than saying that all one group is this and all the other group is that. It's so much more than just what we see in the headlines. He was furious, and that's all we get. And in reality, that's all we're getting now in society is that we are furious. Is there anybody that's happy with how society is going? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm not an anti-masker. I'm not a pro-masker. I just know that it's an annoying thing for me with my little beard thing I'm doing here that it just gets to be an annoyance. Is anybody happy in society? You watch the news. You know, we're talking about politics, right? You know, left's not happy, right's not happy. Who's happy? Nobody's happy. We've got conflict in the streets. We've got protests. The protesters aren't happy. Those who are trying to protect communities aren't happy. Where do we go for that joy, that, that happiness, that peace? And it, it's, it's, it's simple, as far as I'm concerned, what the answer is. It's we go to God. You know, it would have been so much different if David would have said, let me go to my Father in heaven who I know forgives sins because he forgave my sin and ask what I should do with regard to my son who committed this great sin against my daughter and then act accordingly. But he didn't. It would have been so much easier if Absalom would have asked of God, what should I do and my father won't be the, the father you have asked him to be and, and, and told him to be. But he didn't. It starts with us going to God and saying, God, how would you have me act in this moment? There's a passage from Proverbs 22, verse 8, where Solomon writes, Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity. Sound familiar? Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity. Are we surprised that our nation is calamitous? We have done a lot of things as a nation that we have to honestly say that sometimes we're not proud of. And not that everybody was involved, that everyone's, not everyone is culpable, but the fact that we know as we look at history, we read history, we go, wow, that was bad. That hurt people in, in not just a couple, but in bunches, in groups, in whole cultures. And to admit that says, okay, Lord, forgive our sins. But if, if we don't acknowledge the wrong that we've done and, and the harm that it's caused, then we can expect to reap calamity. Because people will get frustrated, they will get angry, and then, then they, will have, they, they will think they have no place to go. And if they don't know God, not, that, not saying that they do or don't in the protest, but if they don't know God, then they have no place to go in their own hearts. But, but Jesus says this, we have a place to go with our frustration. You know, when he was about to face the cross, and he was at the moment of the height of, of intense 
passion and, and maybe even frustration in his heart, he goes to the garden and he prays, Lord, take this cup of suffering from me, not my will, but thy will be done. He goes to the Father. He instructs us to, us to do the same thing. When he says, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. You go to the Father. And then you ask, okay, Lord, how do you want me to live in this moment? We, we are living in 2020. What's our role now as Christians living in 2020 who know about the nuances of human life, who know about the sacrifice of my Savior on the cross, who know about your love for me, Father, who said you never leave me. We know all of those things. How do we put them into a basket and say, okay, how, Lord, do we live? And the answer is not with hate. Hate has got us here in the first place. I was trying to do this, maybe it's kind of a pastorally nerdy thing, trying to figure out the sins in order from creation on. So like, okay, the first sin was them disobeying the Father because they thought they could be like God's. And the second sin would have been them, you know, whatever I was going through. About the third sin is murder that we're told about. When Cain, out of anger and hate and jealousy, kills his own brother Abel. That's how close that hate that we hear in society, full society, goes back. It goes back to Cain and Abel, brother hating brother. And so when you look at racism, it's not a word that you'll find in the Bible, but it goes back to hate. My brother, who spent uh, probably too many years in college, but, but, but more years here in Madison, he, uh, he asked me, why don't we ever preach against racism in the church? And I said, well, if, if it came up in the text, we would. And as I was thinking about that, this is about, you know, March, and he and I are having dialogue about societal stuff. I realized that, that some of it's because in so many people's lives, it hadn't been an issue before we got Facebook and social media. When I was in high school, 1990, I'm in the classroom, and the professor says to us, do you think racism still exists? Now, I am one of four African Americans on the campus of what is now Luther Prep. And a classmate of mine who grew up or lived in Walkershaw most of her life said, no, she doesn't think it exists. And she wasn't trying to be funny. She wasn't trying to be flippant. But in her world, guess what wasn't a factor? She didn't deal with other cultures on a normal basis. She didn't have to interact with other cultures. So for her, the, the things that we hear about racism, the, the hate and the, the name calling and the mistreatment, she didn't, get to, she didn't have to experience. But right now we're in a space where everybody has one of those cameras, right? And, and then we've all got our phones and... And we can, we can tape all the negative things people do all the time. And one of those things that's being exposed now is the hatred that is along racial lines and ethnic lines. It's not something new. It's, it's as old as Cain and Abel, brother hating brother. And we're not maybe complicit in every act of it, but, but you and I have had our struggles too. The way Jesus puts it, and then and, and John quotes him, in 1 John chapter 3, he says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. So maybe we haven't committed murder. Maybe we haven't said the nastiest thing. Maybe we, maybe we haven't denied alone or been the ones to, to burn crosses or burn buildings or hate each other because of, of skin tone and melanin. But have you, have you ever had thoughts that were unkind? Have you ever 
clutch the purse because that person looked a lot different than you did? Have you ever made someone feel less than because of their skin tone and whether it's less than because of their athletic ability or less than because of their intellect or less than because of whatever it is? And so now all of a sudden you have put that on them and then it boils up into this thing that, that we classify as racism. We're not complicit in every act. And for my, my brothers and sisters in Christ who are from European descent, I'm not calling you all racist. Please don't take it that way at all. But I'm saying we often deal with a problem that is there because of racists and because of hate. And the way that we do that as Christians, the way that I do that as a child of God is by loving. I learned this cute little phrase back when I was in grade school. Maybe you learned it too. Take people's words and actions in the... <laughs> it seems so simple, right? It seems so simple. And if I can do that for you, and you can do that for me, when we have conversations that may be intense about feelings, please take my words and actions in the kindest possible way. And, and I will take your words and actions in the kindest possible way. Because there's a Savior who died on the cross for our sins who said, Father, forgive them, because they don't even know their words and actions. And so he does. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we are forgiven. And so may we bring that same message to the world who's struggling, who's trying to find peace in all the wrong places. You and I know where to go. To the cross of Christ and to the love of a Father. Amen. I think my mic is on. Yeah, Pastor Robinson saved a little bit of time. If there are just thoughts or questions that you'd like to ask him, uh, you know, maybe Pastor Robinson, as we're thinking about that a little bit, would you just share with us some of the experiences you've had in ministry, like the different places you've served and how that's, uh, you know, prepared you for all the things that God has put in your path? I was blessed to be, um, like I said, growing up in Milwaukee, my first call in ministry after spending Eight years in Watertown and one in New Orleans, where I, not, you know, I still don't, I still don't like sauerkraut. I, I just, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, I, I'll, I'll, the other day, I wanted, a, I wanted a, a corned beef sandwich without sauerkraut. Didn't know how to ask for it. I'm like, can I get the thing with less of that on there? Anyway, so I spent a lot of years being very much a minority in this larger culture of of German Lutheran American, and so. Uh, as that's affected some of, of my view on life. Um, my first call is out to New York City, where we went, we're in Queens, so if you ever go to New York City, please please stop by Sure Foundation on Sunday and worship there. I used to get so upset. People would say, oh, I was out in New York shopping, and they saw pictures on their Facebook, like, did you stop by the church? Oh, we didn't have time. But you had time for Macy's? Anyway, sorry. That's the first one this year. But but started there with a classmate of mine, and he and I was, my wife, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Elizabeth. She is a German, uh, Lutheran American herself. She's white, so that's part of our family dynamic. We have five wonderful children that um, are dealing in this world, or this, this racially tense world. One of them is 19, and she's a full-grown adult now, so she's got full-grown adult thoughts and, and conversation pieces, so that's interesting. Then after going from uh, New York, where, it was, where no one was a minority, because we were all minorities. It was like so immigrant-heavy so diverse that it was pretty cool being, especially being in Queens. Loved it. Uh, and then we went to St. Croix, which is in the Twin Cities. And it was interesting because they had 
about 400 students, let's say, and about 100 of them were international students, from, mainly from Asia. And so I got to have that, that, that experience. And one of my first classes, first couple of years, was me teaching international students uh, Bible basics. I talk fast, period. Could you imagine being an international student trying to keep up with me and my sp speech rate? So that was interesting. I said, if you, can, if you can keep up with me, you'll do great in the world. That was kind of my approach to them with that. Uh, but at the same time, St. Croix was not heavily African-American or Hispanic. It was mainly white and international. Um, and I was going to a church in the Twin Cities uh, in Minneapolis, uh, Pilgrim, which was very much heavy African-American school and then a mixed congregation. So that's why I kind of chose that spot. But then I went to, to Wisco after seven years at St. Croix, and it flipped. About a quarter of that student population is African-American. But you got about 1,000 students, 900 to 1,000 students. So then it changed in that dynamic. And so now I was, I was back home in Milwaukee and getting used to a new teaching uh, community and that demographic than I had at St. Croix. So I've been around, and now I'm back at, I'm at Fairview, which is awesome. It allows me to do stuff like this. Fairview is uh, such a loving congregation. And I, I, um, I chair a board. It's called JUMP. It's a Joshua Urban Ministry Program that's trying to get uh, young men, young African-American men from Milwaukee into the pastoral track. Uh, so it's called JUMP. So I'm doing that. Serving on the board of Northside Lutheran Ministries. Did you serve on Northside too? We both served at Northside. It's on 26th and North. It's a, a Bible study, food pantry, closed closet ministry that is still going today. We have a young lady named uh, Leela Watson who is doing wonderful things. She has close to 40 people coming through the building a week. And it's all done on donations, so that's awesome. Um, and that's affected me a lot too because I get to, I get to stay in, in the community and not, have to move, not move away from it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, any, any questions, any thoughts you want to share? I got a mic right here. If you want to talk into the mic, you can ask Pastor Robin for the question. I have one question for you that I think would help all of us. You're, thanks for your message. It was wonderful. It was great. I just, this is the question I wrote down because this is probably what's been bothering me most. Okay. Is as someone who is African-American and, and knows the struggles, do, speaking to people who maybe haven't faced those struggles as Christians, what's one thing that you can share with us that would make a huge difference? And I, and I appreciate your message because obviously it starts with Jesus. But just in a practical way, is there something practical that you could just share and say, do this and it would make a huge difference? <laughs> if I had that, if I had that, <laughs> I'd put it on a tablet and put it out there and make millions. Um, I guess the first thing I would say to, to, to everybody is don't rely on the assumptions, the stereotypes. And, and unfortunately in our society, we, we do that too, all too often. We see someone tall, doesn't matter what race, we say, must play basketball. There's an assumption there. You know, we, we, we see somebody with a certain pair of shoes on, they got vans on, skateboarder. We do that across the board with everything that we, that we see. So our first thing is we see and we calculate and then we make a judgment. And if you rely on those judgments when you interact with people, then you're not giving them the benefit of being nuanced, being whole. Mm -hmm. You're seeing a, 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 a slice of them maybe, but not all of them. Um, I've been working on this theory. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'll share it with you because I like to share. <laughs> that uh, we are all 360-degree characters. Or points in history have 360 degrees of, of, of reference. So from my angle, as an African-American male growing up in Milwaukee, I have my slice of that pie that I see very clearly. I don't necessarily see 
whatever the opposite of me would be on the other side's view. So I can't have that empathy that would make it an easy relationship. I have to take the time to walk out of my piece of pie all the way around to their side and look through that lens and say, now I see why you didn't care as much. Or now I see why you hurt so much. Or now I see why, you know, whatever it is. But, but as individuals, don't just take that, that first snapshot stereotypical view of this is the, the angle and leave it there. Walk out of your own zone, go over to the other piece of zone, and then look. I mean, it's, it's as simple as this. How many, of you, how many of you have watched more than 10 episodes of the TV show Friends? Okay, hands down. How many of you have watched more than 10 episodes of the TV show Martin? See, That's, that was one of our shows at the same time that, that spoke to our culture community. And so when we had jokes, it came out of Martin. And we didn't call him Martin, it was Martin. And so we had this whole different dialect around the show that wasn't about about uh, George and, and, and Elaine and, and Kramer, but it's about Martin and Tommy, you know, and, and so it's, it's different in culture, so step out and then walk around and see. Um, and happens with movies. I, I, even the movies we watch are so different, which is so weird to me to think of that, that way because I, I went to high school and college with, with mainly white classmates, and so I, I, got, I got in all those movies. You know, last, yesterday, because yesterday, Van Halen, John, yeah. uh, Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen passed away. I knew that and cared because I grew up listening to Van Halen when I was in high school because that's the group I was with. Most of my black parents probably couldn't care if, if Van whomever died. And so it's, it's that, that cultural thing where we got to step out and see something different. So my first thing would be don't rely on the stereotypes. Um, and, then when, when you, and then also because you don't rely on stereotypes, then you don't diminish their possibilities. Like, you go to an education, right? Um, here's one of my biggest fears about educators in general. When it comes to cultures, we already pigeonhole them. And we think this group is smart, and this, this group is good. This, this group can't do that. And so if you have a young black kid getting a C in math, you might go, good job, you're passing. But you won't push them to get the A or B. You know, you know what I mean? And so you, you can rely on the stereotype and not push that child to get the A or B, which may let them excel later on in school, because you're relying on a stereotype. And now, are, would you be racist? The answer would be, no, I'm not racist, but, but you played into it. And then now you, you channel that. So always get beyond the stereotype. And then some people will prove you right. And that's the, that's the hard part. You'll be like, oh, he's a friendly guy. And all of a sudden, you know, you get, you get mugged. You're like, what? I was trying to ignore the stereotype. And I'll just say, I'll, I'll just say right now, sorry. Okay, because sometimes some people will let you down. They will, they will fall into that. They will do the thing. They will, they'll act, you know, if, if they're blonde, they'll act, ah. I used to hate that when I taught high school. I said, no, we're not doing the blonde routine. Don't make those jokes about her. You don't act like that. We're going to treat you like you have a brain. And it, because we're not in that, in that white community, when you're, a blonde girl says something that's a little bit silly, all of a sudden the blonde jokes come out, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, we're not doing that to her. And here's what I said. I said, I'm not going to do that to her because I don't need black jokes coming out. Yep. You know, you, you, you can't live in a stereotype. And so I, I'm going to say just, yeah, that's one of my first things. Yeah. J judge them on their own merit, what they've done, not on what we suppose from, from historical stereotypes. That's great. Yes, Delaney? I'm plenty loud, but for the live stream. Yes. Um, how would you suggest... Um, showing love as 
um, someone who can't necessarily identify in the same way, but wants to um, show not sympathy is the wrong word, but like empathy mm -hmm. and compassion for the situations going on. How would you suggest going about doing that? Uh, the first thing that I would suggest that we do as those who, who have access to the Father, that we pray. That we pray for those individuals that we don't know, that we have not yet met, uh, and, and the ones that we have met. Uh, pray for encounters throughout the world. Just be like Abraham going, <laughs> praying on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, you, you realize at some point in time that it may not happen how you want it to, but I'm going to still go to my father and pray, Lord, if there are only 10. And so I would start with prayer because that's, that's our, our way to reach out to the father and, and do that. So the, first of all, pray. Okay, now then the other thing is um, on this campus, I know it's kind of weird now. I'm assuming it's weird now with the social distancing or whatever else. But there was a time on this campus, um, 96 is when my brother graduated, I think, or 97, um, where it's pretty still racially divided. And I'm not sure if it's still racially divided now, but, but, but Madison, as liberal as, as it is in other things, it doesn't seem to have figured out the whole racial aspect of life. And so I, I would say that go out of that zone and say, you know what, let's, let's, let's actually go and, and, and break down that barrier so that maybe this could be the place where we don't have an audience of of, of one black man in a room full of white people. That, that we've got friends that we interact with on a regular basis that happen to be Hispanic and black and, and, and Asian and, and that we don't just have a monolithic group that meets here. I, mean, I think that would be a wonderful thing. So that, that in your daily life, you're pursuing those harder friendships because it's going to be a little bit harder because that's the beginning of less in, involved. Um, Louisa? You ran track, I'm assuming? What school? Here. So did you have a lot of people on your team that were black? That, that, that's where it starts, right? And then, and, then you make, and then you become friends. And it's going to be hard to fight through that sometimes because there'll be a lot of other judgments in there and other back and forth stuff. But, but in those moments where it's, 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 it's natural, just, hey, let's, can I, mind if I come with you? What she want to come with me for? Because I want to get to know you. And you're going to have to fight through that. And it's, it's not going to be easy. But that, that's where you'd have the easier opportunity, like at work maybe sometimes, to do that. Um, and then the, the thing that I don't, I don't know if, if... When you see something, say something. And not in, in, the, in the pejorative way with the camera and calling the cops thing. I'm talking about when, there, when there's somebody who is, is hurting and they're from another culture, it's easy to dismiss it and say, I wonder what they did to get that situation. Right? Instead of wondering, I wonder if I could help them from my situation. And it, it may sometimes be just as simple as asking that person, are you okay? And they say, I'm fine. And then you go, well, I'm just going to pray for you, thanks. But just caring enough to ask that. Um, not assuming that people are in, the, in a condition because they wanted to be there. Sometimes life is, is, is pretty brutal and it takes some rough turns. That's my advice. And asking this before, but I'm going to guess Pastor Robinson will be happy to stick around a little bit after the service and talk individually with you if you have individual questions for him. Uh, just uh, can you just join me in thanking him for coming tonight and just being a great opportunity for us?
Can I pray him out? You absolutely. So we'll, we'll, we'll pray and then just a brief benediction if that's okay. Oh, yeah, we got, we got and that then we'll have a song oh, yeah. and then we'll have some announcements from we'll our house. We'll work it out at a time. We're, uh, nice. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> um, uh, I, having received no prayer requests, let us ourselves go to our Lord with our prayers, bowing our heads and, and asking him to be with us. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much that you have allowed us to gather together around your word and to worship and praise you in song and hearing from your wonderful message. Help us always focus on you uh, with all of our problems, whether it be race or hate or, or societal, the injustices of the world, that we come to you first and ask that you would help us find ways to solve them that pleases you, not taking it into our own hands, but rather, Lord, always under your will. Like our Savior did when he went to you in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. And Lord, we thank you that you indeed sent our, our Savior, your Son, to die for our sins. Knowing that kind of forgiveness, let us be willing to step up and forgive everyone else in our lives who has hurt us or harmed us in, in whatever way, because we know what it's like to be forgiven. So Lord, bless these uh, people who have gathered a young and old. Bless this community that they might uh, heal and, and see, some, see peace through, through your Son and his work. Uh, bless our world, our nation and our world our leaders, those elected, and those who will be elected, that they might serve you in a way that is pleasing and, and benefits your kingdom. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.